Welcome to the Naked Church Podcast. If you're new to the show or the podcast, I just kind of want to start today out, you know, explaining again the purpose of this. This is just Diana, my wife, and me. We're literally having an unfiltered dialogue on the state of the church. We want to give biblical language. We want to encourage people to move forward with humility and maybe the stirrings that they have in their life. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be casual. It's not meant to be glamorous, some beautiful YouTube or patched together podcast thing. It, we, we haven't even talked about it. We have a topic. We're fleshing it out. We don't have a solution yet, but today we're talking about equality in the church. Mm -hmm. And we've been kind of harping through a little series, um, Ethics and Ecclesia, where we've talked about a couple different things. What what were the things we talked about? Who comes to church? Yeah. A who's the church for? Yes. Yeah. And who then, should like, be at the gatherings? Mm -hmm. Every member functioning was a yes. huge thing. Yeah. Um, and today we want to talk about equality in mm -hmm. a variety of forms. Mm -hmm. um, but with the basis essentially being that God really shows no partiality and that's yeah. all over scripture mm -hmm. and he, he means it like it's either real yeah. or it's not. And yeah. so that means economically, it means in our giftings, it means in race, you know, it means in our in cultures. Our diversity, yeah. Yeah, and our diversity in um, all of that. And these are core themes. When we say ethics and ecclesia, like these are things that really matter to you and to me. Yeah. Um, we started, you know, our 10 years of ministry experience, six years started really in just kind of institutional church mm -hmm. and a variety of denominations. And yeah. the last four years have been in the house church. We mm -hmm. and so we have this very different experience, and and we covered on one of the other episodes. There's some overlap in yeah. there during those years of transition, I guess, but primarily a lot of institutional church early on, and like across all denominations um, across the states, and then even getting into some overseas expressions, and then really getting into house gatherings and mm -hmm. sort of that home church world and environment um but a lot of like transitional overlap for yeah a solid couple few years i think yeah definitely i would say as the last four years have gone on mm -hmm. we've really developed like a value system to what the church should be and like it really is just things jesus and like paul lays out in scripture you know like i i think we've acquired the value system that god has already developed Yes. would be a bit more of that. It's like through the experience of it, we're now acquiring God's value system for our own. Right, because the first yeah. six years of our ministry experience in more institutional church, the value systems are all over the place. Uh, yeah. There's a huge meshing of the things like man just desires and wants, yeah. and it's mixed with like some things that like Jesus values, and that's just kind of sprinkled in there. And it's this fruit salad of the two. We're like, when you really get to down to a house church setting and a smaller setting, and we're not sitting here pushing house church relentlessly, like it has mm -hmm. its flaws too. But yeah. what we found is definitely like a more, it gets rid of the noise, I guess. And so you, you really are able to see more clearly, like when you value things that aren't truly from the Lord and what he values, it, it creates a lot of issues There's really just quickly. There's way more exposure. Yeah, yeah. I think in, in smaller environments and smaller settings like that, which is, I think, you know, a pretty easily admitted universal truth. It's why churches push for life groups or, um, yeah. 
oh, I, I forget the other names we have for them, you know, but, but I yeah, think yeah. everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Like totally. that midweek Bible study or, um, that, that meeting up in that smaller context. Um, we just, we know, and we understand that there's a greater depth and greater growth that happens in that environment when that is actually the focus and you take away a lot of what typically become distractions from that focus that we have in our larger gatherings. Yeah. You know, you just can't tailor the experience, I guess, to meet the needs of, of where everyone is at if you have hundreds or thousands of people. Yeah. So ethics and ecclesia. Yeah. Moving on to equality. Yes. You can have Christians truly coming to church, not this lukewarm thing. You can have every member functioning, mm-hmm. but equality, what does that mean? Yeah. What a, what a great question because, you know, we throw out the word equality, like the word itself is a little bit loaded. Mm-hmm. Like diversity would be another word probably that's quite a bit loaded. I think we have lots of cultural understandings um, and markers for what would equality look like. Um, and I think that's a really important question for us to ask when we're talking about the ethics that God has given us for life, for our like Christian life together specifically, because um, we should be gathering pretty frequently and building each other up sort of always. There's such a high emphasis in the New Testament of that coming together and doing this Christian life together. Um, So I think my brain immediately goes to, if I'm going to try to um, keep the focus on ethics, I think that equality to the best ability of, of what I can tell in a broad sense, God's heart is that there would be always surplus and need being met with no favoritism or partiality. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the one sentence, I guess, abstract sort of answer, but I think it's definitely worth diving into what does that mean? And what does that actually look like in terms of practices Mm. or like living that out? Maybe I, I know I'm sure like we have different times that we can think of where we can share stories of having seen that play out and the benefit that that has brought and essentially like why it's become a value valuable ethic in our lives and for us um but maybe before going into any stories um it could be really easy to kind of quickly go off on tangents or get really stuck on any one particular focus area and lose sight of the overall ethic so what should help guide (laughs) our our conversation and our focus i think your what you just said is great at the end of the way at the end of the day the easiest way to define equality i think is to look for partiality like where do we show favoritism or partiality like there's a thousand things we could talk about in the church and i know like in future in the future in this podcast we will get into some of the very like blunt straight up what we believe to be sinful ways the church can operate in america Mm -hmm. um but like right now, we're not talking about equality in terms of like hierarchy, you know, for example, mm-hmm. like you could look if you had a 60 hour a week working youth pastor and a 60 hour a week working senior pastor, senior pastor probably makes $30,000 more than the youth pastor still. Statistically, yes. And does. yeah. And so we're not looking at like, is that equal? No, not absolutely not. Why? Why does this other person get paid more? Really? It's just because 
like it's literally just because it's corporate. Yeah. You know, it's, it's America. It's church's business. We have a lot to say on that, but that's not the purpose of like what we're laying a foundation Mm -hmm. for right now in this podcast. Right now we're laying a foundation for ethics. And so, um, we can talk about hierarchy and church structure, which has to do with equality, but it's not necessarily the point of this podcast today. Yeah. The point today is to look at equality. And I think you really hit the hammer on the nail when you said, like, what does it mean to not show favoritism or partiality? Because I think that's the easiest way to address that in the church function. You know, what does that look like? And, and, and you strip away the church for a second. Like if you're thinking this through, right? You, I mean, imagine your life. Like, do you just prefer to spend time? Like, I want to go p- spend time with someone that plays video games or do I want to spend time with someone? You know, what is it? Like for me, you, if you like the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm going to want to spend a lot of time with you. If you like the Cowboys, Tyler, the producer of the show, um, <laughs> uh, no, that's actually a bad example because I love spending time with Tyler. But, you do. Uh, <laughs> and even when it's time to watch football, you'll still not named Tyler Vanderwall that, that likes the Cowboys, <laughs> I'm not going to spend much time with you. I'm just going to be honest. So find another podcast. I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> But, but like you boil it down to things that really don't matter. And I, and I think it's easier to see where you're like showing partiality and favoritism. And it could be as simple as like you're a single dude out there, maybe even a married dude. You see a pretty girl. Do you prefer to talk to that girl versus some not so pretty girl? You know what I mean? Like those are examples of where you show favoritism, partiality, even maybe subconsciously. And so in the church, this actually becomes like a poison. Oh, yeah. In the church, this becomes a thing that actually degrades and belittles part of the body of Christ and it elevates and it lifts up people rather than looking at people through the lens of Jesus and saying, Jesus, give me the eyes to see your people the way that you see your people. We begin to see them through our eyes and we put Jesus like in selective parts of the church rather than just like this church is the redeemed like people of God, you know? And so, um, there is no favoritism. There is no partiality. Yeah. Which is something that is said like a lot and I'm not going to go to every verse. I can like reference a few of them. I think it's worth doing a Google search or, you know, if you have the resources to be able to, um, look for the word favoritism or partiality or impartially. Um, you know, if you have those resources, go look into that because it's over and over and over again, both in the Old Testament, it's part of the law and it's instructed to us as well to reflect God's heart that um, he shows no partiality or favoritism. He judges impartially. We also see that in the New Testament, um, like Peter, when he has his vision in Acts 10 and it's about all the animals but it's not just about the animals. You know, he comes down and he says, truly, now I understand, or, or now I understand that truly there is no partiality with God. Um, and that's like radical for him, even though it, it was there in the law. Now he has this life-changing mm. understanding. Um, Romans 2.11 declares there is no partiality or favoritism, depending on your translation. Um, with God, Galatians 2.6 is another spot um, declaring that there is no favoritism. Um, that one's pretty funny actually. Um, cause it's like a parenthetical. Paul's just like, it doesn't matter to me. There's no favoritism with God, um, for what he's talking about. And then, you know, you, you pop down a little bit later, I think Galatians three 20 something, we get into how like this message of equality, there is no slave or free, no Greek or Jew, no male or female, but all are in Christ and Christ is in all. 
and that even that language of all are in Christ and Christ is in all, we have this language of oneness with God and that's everyone and equal oneness with God. Everyone created equally in the image of God um, all over. Hmm. Just, yeah, all over. Yeah. We've got Ephesians 6, 9 is another spot. Um, we're commanded not to show partiality in First Timothy and then also in James. I'm actually going to read some of James too. So bear with me here because um, really this is why I want to talk about this as an ethic. Um, it's kind of a bit of a chunk uh, starting with James 2, 1. Um, it's a bit of a chunk of scripture, but it's, I think, so incredibly important. I have been heavily convicted over the years to make this my marker um, a guiding principle for myself for the easy things, like how do I show favoritism right. or favoritism in my life? But then also for the harder things, like literally people that I just enjoy spending time with more because I just kind of click with their personality better. Yep. Like, is that okay? It's such a natural human thing to do like that. If I can choose who I'm going to spend time with right now and I have the choice between two people and one of them, as just a closer friend and I get along with them more easily, more effortlessly, I'm going to choose them. But yeah. this is what God has to say about such things. So um, James 2, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That one's always been really important. Mm. I think beyond my own self, like, we do, we, that's straight. We do this in our church all the time. Like I'm, um, global church. We do this in global church yeah. all the time. No, you mean just you personally? Yeah. Yeah. I tell people, come <laughs> sit here. Go. No. Yeah. Let me judge you <laughs> with evil thoughts. <laughs> well, I make distinctions. Um, mm. it's, and, and that's a for real thing. Um, yeah. but this is something we kind of all do openly and casually. Right. And so, but the thing is, it's to make distinctions among ourselves makes us judges with evil thoughts. Mm. So listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Mm. Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So mm. if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm. So I don't, I don't know if you guys caught that, but um, the sin of favoritism is directly compared to murder and adultery. Yeah, that's... Like, that's the strength of God's heart feelings on it. And it's actually not a surprise because this comes up like even in the old Testament a lot, 
Yeah. Um, and it's all over in the New Testament. There is no partiality. There is no favoritism. Um, that there is meant to be this equality of existence, I suppose, like that dignity, that worth, that existence. Um, and there's also probably just worth a Google search. Um, there are plenty of verses about God not making distinctions, right? Like not, it's, he does not see what we see and he doesn't make distinctions among us. Um, and we're not to make distinctions because it makes us evil judges. And, um, I don't know it. I think under coming to understand that for me was pretty, it was a radical change (laughs) in how I, how I approach, um, my own relationships. It makes a huge change how I approach, um, in terms of being like a ministry leader, the opportunities that I give people, the sort of judgments that I might make, or I'm super careful of like, who I prefer to spend time with because like, why is that? Are they, do I think that I'm going to gain something in this? Cause that's just straight wicked and evil. And I might, it's like it, God feels as strongly about the injustice of favoritism as he does about murder and adultery. Yeah. So it's just a conversation we should be having. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. (laughs) The question that comes to mind is kind of like, we need to be honest with ourselves is are the things that God says are evil, evil, or, or are the things that we are passionate about what's actually evil? You know what I mean? Like everybody's you compared that, or you said that God compares it in James there to murder and adultery Mm -hmm. that literally just showing favoritism. Yeah. Like that's, and I, I will say, I think there's, in the context of that passage, it looks like there's this image of we show favoritism because we think we have something to gain in it. Yes. Right. And um, Well, later in James, it's going to describe selfish ambition as mm-hmm. worldly, unearthly, and demonic. Yeah. So, yeah, favoritism, I think, I think like always... Chapter. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's And it, so it's always tied, I think, favoritism, no matter what, it is tied to selfism. Yeah. And selfish ambition is described it's as it's attached so to so worldly. Yes. The powers of the world. So the thing the thing about it I think that you have to do in any church setting is like every member has to be responsible for they have to have that burden of like equality, like actually caring about every member in that church mm-hmm. truly equal. Um which means what though? Maybe it would help if we got a little more tangible. I said at the beginning, I think my understanding of this comes as well mm-hmm. to surplus, <clears throat> excuse me, surplus and need always being like exchanged, can I always give, being met. Yeah. Can yeah. I give an example? Cause I think Do. maybe this like a thought experiment will help broaden it. Um, you, there's a book called when helping hurts, right? Yes. We've both read it. A lot of people in a Jesus mission have read it. It's really changes the perspective we have of like missions Um, Mm -hmm. because a a lot of like Western missions is like, what can I throw money at? Because we're rich financially. So we didn't just go to poor place in the world and we can drop money and that's going to like solve some problem, you know, and a lot of the world oftentimes in these poor places even looks to us in that way. Yeah. So it's, it's mutually shared in that way that perspective, but it's not actually healthy for any place when you just go drop money in it. So one of the things this uh, book does is it outlines poverty. 
And I think this example it gives of poverty is like a really good example of equality because it says like, hey, poverty is not just something financial. It's not just mm-hmm. monetary. Mm-hmm. But there are actually four different views of poverty if you're going to define poverty in a holistic sense. And when Helping Hurt says that there's poverty in your finances, there's poverty in your relationship with God, there's poverty in your view of yourself, your self-worth, and there's poverty poverty in the relationships around you, like your family, your friends. Um, and every person in the world has poverty in one of those areas, and everybody at has, at least, yeah, and everybody has a wealth in one of those areas. And so as you interact with humans, say you're from America, and even if you're in low class in America, you're in, you're in the top, you know, half of like the richest people of the world, you know, comparatively and Mm -hmm. at least. And so literally you go into a, you know, third world and you're Mm -hmm. interacting with people and no longer are you going with this idea that I'm rich and they're poor. You're going, I have monetary wealth and they have financial poverty, but you watch them and their interactions with their family. And it's like, wow, they are rich in the family unit. Yeah. And I am poor in my family unit. Yeah. And they're rich in their relationship with God. And why do I feel like I'm struggling in my relationship with God? Mm -hmm. And now you interact with humans because of equality Mm -hmm. and this perspective, like there's something I have to gain from your surplus because I'm in a deficit. I'm in need. Mm -hmm. But there's something I might have and maybe just it's the finances, the surplus, and that can meet your need. But rather than like we come in with a savior complex... We're able to come in and just go, wow, we are just children of God, like here to help each other. And I think that really, I guess, illustrates what you're going to in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where it talks about surplus and need. So, yeah, no, thank you. I think it's a great illustration. I was just going to say that um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are a really great, um, shorter than the book One Helping Hurts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's sort of like a great biblical foundation for that concept. And um, to help with language, I'll just read 2 Corinthians 8. I'll start at 13. Um, It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. Um, thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. And, you know, he goes on to um, just Second Corinthians 8 and 9. I really want to encourage anybody listening, go dive into that. Just spend some time, some prayerful time, like the theme of surplus and abundance. Um deficit and need or lack. Um, Paul uses this language, I think, very intentionally so that we're constantly questioning, is he talking about money or something spiritual right now? Is it the tangible or the intangible? And he goes back and forth all the time. And I think, um, and, um, and rarely explicitly says which one he's actually talking about. Like just there, there was surplus and abundance because he's talking about one is actually monetary, but the other is like these people who are rich in the faith to be able to give these people who are rich in um, like spiritual capacity to meet these other needs, the teaching that these people need, the encouragement that these people need, um, the building up 
in this other way. And um, it's really beautiful. And I think it's this great picture of that is what equality is. That's, that's sort of this foundation that we have, that there's meant to be equality uh, throughout difference. And I think it's when we have that understanding and it's, there's no partiality. There is no favoritism. That's how we get that acts to and for church where everyone shares as there is need. Yeah. No one has too much, too much. No one is lacking anything, but all are content and everything belongs to the Lord. And like these people are just together and they're rejoicing and they're thriving in life, which becomes absurd considering, you know, persecution comes not much later and they've still well, in that space of equality are able to thrive in life. And it specifically says, and they distributed amongst each other as they saw need mm-hmm. in Acts 2 or Acts 4 or both. I can't remember one of the two. Yeah. But, but literally they yeah. saw need and then they, the result like the tangible thing to do was to meet that and bring about equality by distributing to others, you know? Yeah. There's no way to get around it. Like if you're going to dive into equality and like, you're going to take the new Testament, like you're gonna take the word of God, like for what it says, we can't be forming distinctions. We can't, we can't let that guide how we treat people, how we look at them, how we would, the opportunities that we would give them. I think maybe just for a moment, um, before we kind of close it out talking about what does this mean for, um, our smaller gathering times together? Um, yeah, I think almost to tie into the previous conversation that we were having in terms of every member functioning, you can sort of make allowances for every member to function and still have favoritism. Yeah. Right. And, um, that would be wicked. Mm hmm. That would be to show distinctions um, because you're becoming judges of like in the world, in a sense, that's your metric that you're using and it's not going to be good. Um, you, you, can, you can look at any practice we do in church right now. And I just think your comparison earlier of what James says is so important because if a pastor, for example, was having an affair, They'd be like, well, he can't preach. You know, if someone was, uh, if he just murdered someone, nope, absolutely shouldn't preach. Now, if he shows favoritism towards the person that's tithing and keeping the doors open on the church. Yeah. <coughs> eh, go ahead and preach. We got to keep this building open because it's a benefit to people, you know, but we're, but it's not okay. And mm-hmm. I think like you're talking about what does it mean in our local context? The beautiful thing about house church is it removes all the variables. It removes all the noise. Oh, what about this building? What do we do if we don't have this building? The whole reason this podcast is called Naked Churches because it's this idea of stripping everything away. What if just down you to weren't existing to gain a building? What if you were existing to honor God and to please God? Yeah. The house church's beauty is that it is pretty much strictly just community. You know, like it's just the believers together with no extras, no frills. And now we're figuring out how do we follow Jesus like in this capacity. And so hopefully uh, with no extras, no frills. Yeah, I hopefully mean, you I still mean, get into who's got the nice voice. Let's ask them to lead worship. Who's a, you can, you, know, you, you can, yes, yes, you can. And but I guess we, in our we house church, we've questions. even like gone away from sometimes even a guitar though, where like, yep. who does anybody have like a song acapella they can sing? Yep. And I think that's a great example of when 
a couple people from the house church started like pushing that, it was like, yeah, this is a great way to show equality because now it's not about whether or not you have a good voice or even can play guitar, but just who has a song they can bring. Yeah. And there's, and there's genuine true freedom when you like actually embrace that, I think is, is maybe the, the point, the testimony that we have to provide is there's such a beautiful, like worship is a really good example because, um, I've heard so many, you know, because you guys were a worship band and there's being around lots of different worship teams. I've, and you know, my serving in different local churches as a sound tech, you know, I get to be there at the worship meetings and I see how they talk to each other and how they build each other up and all of that. And it's interesting because there are, um, almost always there will be this sort of talk and emphasis of like, well, it's not really about like putting on a show or perfection or whatever, you know, it's just about make a joyful noise. And at at the end of the day, like this is just our offering that we bring to the Lord. Um, And then in the same breath, there will be such an emphasis on like, but it has to be your best you don't quote, get to play unquote. on the team because you missed a note and yeah, an a or, or that team, person, team, yeah, can't sing or it doesn't sound good. Yeah. And like, if your worship isn't perfect for the listener's ear, then somehow it'll dishonor God. And it's like, wait, what? well, no, it just inhibits <laughs> the spirit. The spirit of God just can't move past. Yes. Room. No, but like <laughs> literally, but it's so it's that that inhibits the spirit. Yeah. In in people's lives, they won't be able to worship. Literally, it's that. They just don't say they can't so. get this the wrong note. But it's there's this thing where it's like, it's so incredibly stifling. Like we, I've been in those environments where like we recognize truth and we proclaim truth and then we stifle it as hard as we can because, you know, whatever, because we want, there's something that we want that isn't as simple as to please God. But then being able to, I'm so grateful for the people who've really pushed, cause I'm not a singer grateful for the people who've really pushed like, no, like just come with a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, like a, a word of encouragement, whatever. Like why we were reading the passages last time, everyone was created to come with this. So come with that and offer that to the Lord and, it should be building us up because yeah. that's God's spirit as alive and powerful as it is in me, in you. And that's beautiful. And it's meant to exist here freely. You know, that verse that says man plans his path, but the Lord directs his steps. Yeah. It feels like a lot of times in the institutional church, God plans man's path, but then man directs his steps and that's where it goes wrong. Thank <laughs> you.